Good morning, Christ Point. Hope you are well this morning. It's good to see you. I don't know if you've ever had this experience before, but there are times when I'm reading Scripture and I'm struck by a beautiful picture that I read, a, a picture of extravagant love, a picture that uh, pauses me to stop and think one of two things. Sometimes I, I read about that beautiful picture of extravagant love and, and think to myself, man, that just blows me away. And sometimes when you see people uh, loving the Savior, loving Jesus, there's, there's something in you that is challenged by that, that's encouraged by it. Your eyes are opened and you think to yourself, man, that is beautiful. Uh, but there's also another feeling that I can have when I read about beautiful pictures of extravagant love in the Bible, and that is this. It seems like sometimes for me there can be a disconnect between uh, the love that I read about in Scripture and the love uh, that I have for the Lord. I mean, have you ever read a story in the Bible before and thought to yourself, boy, that is extravagant, that is otherworldly, that's, that's a bit radical what that person is doing for Jesus. And then you kind of take stock of your own heart and your own life and you think to yourself, boy, it seems like uh, there are times in my own walk where there is just a disconnect between what I read in the pages of Scripture and what I live out on a daily basis. Uh, here's the thing, I, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb this morning and assume uh, that I'm not the only one. Uh, I'm going to assume that you too, as, as you read through the pages of Scripture, have probably thought a time or two, boy, that love that I read about uh, before me, I, I don't experience that all the time in my relationship uh, with the Lord. Uh, if you've had that experience before, then I want to encourage you this morning uh, by looking at a picture of extravagant love and thinking together about how we can uh, pursue that picture as the people of God. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Mark chapter 14, uh, Mark chapter 14. Uh, Mark chapter 14 uh, tells the story of extravagant and beautiful love, but in between this story, uh, there is for us uh, a story of a group of people uh, who hated Jesus, and then on the back end, a story about an individual who sold out Jesus. Right, so these serve as kind of two bookends for us. We're going we're gonna to think about these two bookends briefly this morning, but then I want us to consider this picture of extravagant love that we read about in Mark 14. Uh, first, we read about some religious leaders that hated Jesus. A story is told in Mark 14, verses 1 through 2. Uh, it says, It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priest and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. Um, those who knew Jesus, uh, those whose paths crossed with Jesus, were not agnostic about Jesus. Do you ever notice sometimes in Scripture that people that came face to face with Jesus often had one of two responses. Uh, sometimes people lovingly followed Jesus, uh, but then other times people hated him. 
Right? It doesn't seem in Scripture like there's often a lot of wiggle room in terms our, of our response to Christ. Right? A lot of times we think that somehow we can be kind of firmly planted in the middle when it comes to uh, the claims of Jesus, and yet oftentimes in Scripture that isn't the case. It certainly wasn't for this group of religious leaders. Jesus was someone who, who caused a response in people. I love what martyred missionary Jim Elliott once wrote in his journal. It was a prayer to God. He said, Father, make me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. Right, Jim Elliott prayed that he would be a fork in the road for people as they saw the person of Christ in his life. Jesus was that fork. Right, he was that fork. People came across him and they either loved him or they hated him. Right, and the only thing that eclipsed the religious leaders of hatred for Jesus was uh, the love of their own reputation. Uh, even as they're plotting to kill him, they're thinking about ways that they can do it in such a way as to not cause a commotion. Right? So on one hand, we see the example of the religious leaders who hated Jesus and wanted Jesus killed. And then uh, a bookend to that story is this a movement by Judas uh, to sell Jesus out. It says in Mark 14, verse 10, Then Judas Iscariot who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, uh, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. Right, so here's these, these two groups of people. One, the religious leaders of the day who hated Jesus. One, of Jesus' own disciples. Uh, the guy that walked with him, that experienced his miracles, that sat near him as he talked. Right? He turned his back on Jesus and sold him out. Right? The very fact that Judas did this goes to show that proximity uh, to Jesus does not equal a love for Jesus. Right? Proximity to Jesus doesn't equal a love for Jesus. Um, closeness to Christ does not equal uh, the same as Christ-likeness. Like we see examples in Scripture of people who walked near Jesus, who heard, heard the teaching of Jesus, who saw other people's love and affection for Jesus. And yet, some of those folks who were closest to him just washed their hands of him. Right? They, they rolled out. They didn't want anything to do with him. And so on, on one hand, we see examples, we read examples in Scriptures of people who hated Jesus and the teaching of Christ. And yet, even in the midst of that, there's these beautiful pictures of extravagant love. We read about one of them in Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 3. It says, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining uh, at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? 
For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. The time this took place is uh, the Passover. It's a time when the Jewish people uh, remember and celebrate God's goodness in uh, delivering them from slavery in Egypt. Um, This scene took place at Simon the leper's house. I don't know about you, but sometimes I read Scripture and I'm struck by uh, someone's name. And I thought it was interesting when I read this the other week that it just said Simon the leper. At one time, Simon suffered from leprosy. Uh, Christ had healed him, had delivered him from leprosy, and and yet his reputation around town uh, was connected uh, to his past way of life. Simon the leper. When I read that, I thought, boy, what what would be the things that would uh, stick to me that people would use to describe my life uh, if my name were to come up? I mean, imagine that for a moment. If it was like, hey, I'd like to introduce you to, to James the Prideful. He's right over here. You'll want to meet him. Oh, have you met James, the lover of money? Right? Come, come, please, let me introduce you. I mean, imagine for a moment what it would be like to have your life and your name, like who you are, connected uh, to your past. And one of the things that I, I love about the gospel is that while our past may shape us, our past doesn't define us. Right? It, it may shape us, it may influence our stories, but it doesn't define our stories. So God had done a work in Simon's life, and even though other people around town may know him as Simon the leper, God had done a work in his life. He had healed him. And and so we find people at Simon uh, the leper's house, and and, and something amazing takes place uh, here in Mark chapter 14. The story actually took place before the religious leaders sold out Jesus. So more than likely, this took place six days or a week uh, before Judas turns his back on Jesus. We read this story about Mary. This was the same Mary from from the story of Mary and Martha and Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This is, uh, many believe, the same woman, and she approaches uh, Jesus and just demonstrates an overflowing uh, love for Christ. A few things that I want us to notice about uh, this extravagant love that Mary has for Jesus. The first is that extravagant love for Christ shatters social norms. Right? This kind of love oftentimes goes public. Right? Mary finds herself surrounded maybe by followers of Jesus, people who, had, who knew him and followed him. She's at Simon the leper's house, but she doesn't really care about the people around her. She just cares about Jesus. Right? This was not socially acceptable for a woman to approach a rabbi or a teacher uh, and, and do what she did. Oftentimes, if this were to happen, it would be when a woman approached uh, a rabbi or a teacher to give him a meal. But for Mary to approach him and do what she did was against social norms. Uh, th- this act of love, like it went public. It was out there for people to see. Uh, it reminds me of, of when you see a, a young couple in love. 
If you've ever seen a young couple in love, maybe you've, you've been that young couple in love before, where it seems like just the people around you kind of fade away and all you care about is the person before you. Right? You, you, you look at that person deep in their eyes. Right? You, you peer into their soul. Right? You hold hands and you hug and, and you steal a kiss. And people look at you from afar and go, oh, sick. Jeez. Right? They roll their eyes. They're like, come on. Right? They, they, they whisper from afar, but guess what? When you're young and you're in love and you care deeply about the person whose eyes you're peering into, you do not care what the world thinks. You don't care if other people are grossed out. You don't care if people who've been married for 30 years goes, oh, just give them time. That'll wear off. No, you, you love the person in front of you. And, and your love like, moves, like people see it. Right? Mary had a, had a love for Jesus so much so that she comes and, and she begins to, to pour this expensive uh, perfume over the head of Christ. What she does is very public. It wasn't well received. It says in verse 4, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? She didn't care. She wasn't crunching the numbers. She loved Jesus. And she didn't care who knew about it. Do people know uh, that you love Christ? Do, do, do people who know you know that you love Jesus? Many years ago, when Melissa and I lived in uh, Michigan, we were at a, at a church there. It was the first church where, where I was on staff. We were there for about two years, and our next-door neighbor um, got, got to know him over time. We had conversations that started off just waving and saying hello, and he would come home from work, and I would come home from work, and we'd kind of do the head, head nod, the, the neighborly head nod, and then we started actually raising our hand up in the air and saying hello, and then we, we, there's just some small talk that started, you know, after many weeks and months, and we, how are you doing? How are you doing? It's good to meet you, and I, you know, tell me, I see you have a family. Tell me about your family, and we would have just passing conversations. We didn't become best friends, but he was my neighbor, right? We saw each other uh, many times a week. After about a year and a half of being at the church, I was out on the front lawn, and he approached me one morning, and he said, James, I said, uh, yes. He said, you're a pastor. And I said, uh, yes, yes, I am. And he goes, I didn't know that. And I'm like, you didn't know that? Yes. He goes, he goes I've known it for a year and a half. He goes, I had no idea. He's like, you seem so normal. And I was like, thank you. Right, like there was this part of me that wore that as a badge of honor. Like he, he didn't know me, but he thought from a distance that I was normal. I'm like, yes. I'm like, that's wonderful. I wasn't so weird or so like on the edge that he, he looked at me and he saw me and did one of these things and walked away. Like he wanted to say hello. He wanted to have a conversation with me. He wanted to 
talk a little bit about life. And so I remember when he told me that, man, I couldn't be more proud of myself. I'm like, this is awesome. It's awesome that I've known this man for a year and a half, and he has no idea that I love Jesus. I thought to myself, why is that? Why is that? I mean, am I so consumed with reputation or people's perception that, that I can't go out of my way to mention, just mention, that I love Jesus? I start thinking about conversations that we had over the last year and a half, and I think to myself, was there ever a time, a time or two, where maybe, like just maybe, I could, could ask a question or turn the conversation in such a way that I, I ask him about his spiritual journey, that I inquire about what he thinks or what he feels or what he believes, and, and what at one time I perceive to be a badge of honor, I look back upon now with, with a, a certain shame. And, and I wonder if, if people that know me know that I love Jesus. Not, not know what I do, but know that I love Jesus. Do people know that you love Jesus? Like the people that you work with, the people that you see every day that you pass in the hall, that you pour a cup of coffee with, people at the soccer field or at dance, people in your neighborhood. Do they know that you are a lover of Christ? Mary loved Jesus. She loved Jesus. She didn't care uh, who knew it. One of the things that we notice about an extravagant love for Christ is that it, it shatters social norms. It goes public. And another thing that we notice here is that extravagant love for Christ uh, gives extravagantly. And an extravagant love for Christ gives extravagantly. Right? What she did was unusual. What, what she did made no earthly sense. Like if you were to crunch the numbers, you would think to yourself, this might not be a good idea. Right? Might not be a good idea. Uh, people believe that the gift that she gave to Jesus when she uh, poured this over uh, her head was, was worth somewhere between uh, twenty-five dollars and $30,000. I mean, think about that for a second. Twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. This was more than likely something that was passed down from generation to generation in her home. This nard that she had was something that you would get in India. It was, it was something that was extravagant. It's not something uh, that you run up and get at Harris Teeter. Right? You don't go to the little cologne store in the mall and pick this up. Right? This is something that had been in her family, and, and it was valuable uh, to her. It was something that would have meant her security. Right? This is like her 401k, her nest egg, her future. This was something that she could rely upon when things went sideways. But apparently she didn't really care about all that. Right? Because she was deeply and madly in love with Jesus. Extravagant love gives extravagantly. Right? She didn't crunch the numbers. She saw Jesus and she's like, everything that I have, I give uh, to you. It's yours. It's all yours. 
I read that and I thought to myself, James, how do I tangibly demonstrate a love for Christ? How do I tangibly demonstrate a love for for Christ. Again, is there something about my way of life, of how I operate, that other people would look and go, I know what he loves. I know what he loves. I I know what he values. I I know what's really important to him. We see Mary demonstrate this very tangible and extravagant love uh, for Christ. And it causes me to ask myself, how do I tangibly demonstrate the love of Christ? How, church family, do you tangibly demonstrate the love of Jesus? If you're here this morning and you think to yourself, I I love Jesus. Like, I love, he's my everything. I put all my eggs in the Jesus basket. I'm trusting him. He has my life. How do you demonstrate that? How do you show that. Extravagant love gives extravagantly. The third thing that we notice is extravagant love for Christ is often misunderstood or criticized. Verse 4 of Mark chapter 14 says, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. It wasn't uncommon during Passover to give an offering to the poor. It was socially acceptable and in many ways expected. It's something that just people did. And so it wouldn't have been uncommon for people to look at her act of love and think, well, why, like, could, couldn't we find better use for that? Like, couldn't, you, couldn't you sell that and, and give to the poor? Like, couldn't you take those resources and, and invest them in other ways? Right? Is this really the, the best use of your money? And so people looked at the act and they thought, that doesn't make sense. That's foolish. And I have to be honest with you. There's, there's times when I think, for myself and for us, we, we do the same. We, we look at decisions that people make and we think, why would, why would someone do that? That doesn't make sense to us. I mentioned a book last week by, by Francis Chan, and he tells a story in the book about how he left uh, a Cornerstone Church in California. He, had a, he was a mega church pastor, right? So, so pastors, like guys like me, like late at night, they think, oh, like that would be cool, right? I mean, just thousands of people coming and hanging on to your every word and buying your books and going to conferences. And, and if there were a Christian ladder, he would be at the top of it. And one day, he left and he walked away. He didn't walk away from Jesus, but he walked away uh, from his big church. And I hear that, and I want to go, I wonder what happened. Like, I want, the, I want the skinny, the inside scoop, right? Because, because leaving your big church, right, to go minister to house churches in China or to start a house church movement in San Francisco, there's just something in my mind where I go, that... That's weird. Doesn't make sense to me. 
And I think we do stuff like that. We, we hear stories even within the Christian community, and we go, they, they want to be missionaries where? <laughs> where? Right? There's not even a Starbucks there. Why would they want to go there? That doesn't make sense. We hear stories of, of, of executives who leave lucrative opportunity in the business world to, to go to the local church, and we think, well, why, why would you do that? Occasionally, you hear a story of a professional athlete that, that walks away from baseball or football or basketball to go to seminary, and we go, they don't pay as much there. doesn't make sense. And yet they go. I mean, there, there are times when people out of, I think, a love and affection for Jesus just kind of set things aside and they go, I'm in. I'm going. And when they do that, it's, it's, it's misunderstood. People scratch their heads and they go, that makes no earthly sense to me. Right? Instead, even culturally, we live in a world where moderate, measured devotion to God is often accepted. Right? Moderate, measured devotion to God is often accepted, but there are not many examples in the Bible where it is applauded. And, and when I say not many, I mean I can't think of one off the top of my head. I can't think of one off the top of my head. I, I can't think of an instance or a time when Jesus goes, bravo, you're sensible, right? Congratulations, you're not weird. Wonderful, you've navigated your way through life and nobody knows that you're my follower. Instead, I, I read these, these, these stories People like Mary who do crazy things. And Jesus goes, that is beautiful. That is beautiful. Jesus said in Mark chapter 14, verse 6, leave her alone. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, whatever the gospel or wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Apparently, Jesus thought enough of her act of sacrifice that he said, uh, when the gospel is preached, people uh, will remember her. Right, this, this act of love and devotion and worship uh, that you look at as foolish, I will look at as beautiful. What about uh, my love, our love for Christ is foolishly beautiful? What about our love for Jesus is foolishly beautiful? And as you think about how you live and how you operate, what's valuable to you and what's really important, do, do people kind of on the outside looking in, is there, is there any, 
Is there anything that they would look at and go, well, that's, that's different. That is unique. So here's the deal. I, I read stories like this in Scripture, and I, and I wrestle uh, in my soul with stuff like this. Right? And, I, and I do that for, for a couple different reasons. One is because I read stories like this, and I think, and that, that seems like a beautiful picture of love and devotion. And almost simultaneously, I think, I don't know if people would say or think the same about how I live or how I operate. Right? And so there's part of me that's just bothered by that. Okay? There's this part of me where I go, man, am I just, am I just trying to kind of get by and like find a good rhythm to life and not make waves, take a couple vacations, watch my kids play sports, just kind of just get through. And so I, so I wrestle with that. I see this, this picture, and it's a picture that Jesus looks at and goes, bravo. And I go, man, I, I want that, but I don't know if I, I have that. There's other times I read stories like this, and I go, that, that's just, that's out there somewhere. <laughs> that's just out there. I mean, that's just crazy. Right? And I think to myself, that person is like a special forces Christian. Right? Like they have their PhD in spiritual maturity. Right? They're, they're otherworldly, but they're the exception, they're not the norm. And so we read those stories and we go, that's cool, we're challenged by it, but we think that's not us. It's not us. And then there's other times where we might read a story like this and we go, yeah, extravagant love for Jesus, um, that's wonderful, uh, but I have laundry to do when I get home. <laughs> like, I haven't folded the whites. I need to make lunches. Right? I haven't ironed yet. Right? I, there's a permission slip that I lost, and I can't find it. Right? And my kid wants it. And I need to be two places at one time. Right? Next Tuesday, it's a busy day for me. And we're not thinking about, like, how can I extravagantly demonstrate the love of Christ? We're thinking, how do I navigate through my day? And maybe you're thinking, like, they're downsizing at work. And I'm thinking about if I'm going to have a job and how I'm going to provide for my family and how I'm going to navigate through a season of uncertainty. I'm thinking about my relationships with family or with friends and how do I, how do I get by and how do I walk through that well. We don't spend a ton of think time going, what crazy otherworldly thing can I do for Jesus today? Maybe you do that all the time, but I don't do that all the time. And so there's this part of me that goes, what do I do with this? Like, what do I do with this story? Uh, just a couple things. I'm, I'm going to assume that what she did uh, was a good thing. I'm just going to assume what she did was a good thing. And the reason that I'm going to assume what she did was a good thing is because Jesus says it was a good thing. Right? In this example that she set, this picture of of devotion and love and affection uh, for Jesus is commended by Jesus, right? It's, it's, Jesus doesn't go try to snuff out her passion. He doesn't say, no, 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 come on, come on, let's, let's be reasonable. Instead, he holds her up as an example. And so then my question becomes, well, how, like, is this something that God can grow in us? 
Or is this something that he can grow in your heart and in my heart? And if so, um, how does that happen? And so I just want to take a couple minutes and think together about how God might grow and develop that in us. How does this happen? The first way that it happens uh, is we get the Jesus question right. We get the Jesus question right. Now, maybe you're going, what is the Jesus question? Well, if you have been with us through the Gospel of Mark, we started five years ago, and we started talking about what is the purpose of the Gospel of Mark. And the purpose of the Gospel of Mark is to answer the question, who is Jesus? Who's who's Jesus? Who Who does he claim to be, and then how does he demonstrate that with the way that he lives? Some people seemingly answered that question and said, Jesus is one to be hated. Uh, Jesus is one to be kept at arm's length. Jesus is one to be ignored. Or Jesus even is one to be killed. Right? I would suggest to you that they got the Jesus question incorrect. Right? Mary seemingly got the Jesus question right. Right? She looked at Jesus as not some rabbi or not some random teacher or not some nice guy who set some good morals, right? She looked at Jesus as the Savior, right? She says, everything I have belongs to him. And so if we want to foster this in our hearts and in our lives, we, we must be honest about the Jesus question. Who is Jesus? Secondly, in our pursuit of loving God, we should not miss out on uh, the love of God. This isn't simply a passage that demonstrates to us or teaches us how to love Jesus well, right? It's a passage, if we were to look at it, that demonstrates uh, the love that God has for his people because she was, maybe unbeknownst to her, uh, she was preparing Jesus uh, for death, right? Jesus was the savior of of the world that demonstrated his love uh, for us in laying down his life for our sins. You want to talk about extravagant love. You cannot talk about extravagant love uh, without talking about, thinking about, dwelling upon uh, the love of God that has been demonstrated to us in the person and work of Jesus. Right? So we have to get the Jesus question right. We don't want to miss the love of God in pursuit of loving God. And then three other things that we notice in the life of Mary. I, I don't believe that this picture that we read about in Mark 14 simply happened. Right? I think this is something that grew and developed in her heart and in her life as she followed Jesus. Uh, Mary was the same one in the story of Mary and Martha and Jesus uh, told in Luke chapter 10. Remember when Martha is busy in the hall? She's like, she's doing all the stuff. She's active and she's mad because what's Mary doing? Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And she's just listening. And she's just listening. Right? And it drives Martha nuts. She's like, get to work, get to work. And Jesus is like, no. No, Mary's on to something. Mary listened at the feet of Jesus. When when we come and we we listen at the feet of Jesus, we open up his word to us, and we beg God to open our eyes and reveal himself to us. We say, God, here I am, I'm, I'm listening. Like, what do you have for me? She listened at the feet of Jesus. She also wept at the feet of Jesus. John chapter 11, when Lazarus uh, dies, Mary, Martha, and then Mary later in the story runs out to Jesus. 
and she, she weeps at his feet. Right? So in, in the brokenness of life, when things go sideways, she runs to Jesus. Right? She, just, she just runs and she weeps at the feet of Jesus. Jesus, you need, you need to do something. Right? Jesus, you know the situation. Jesus, you've got to help. You've got to help. I think extravagant love for Jesus is, is grown or develops over time when we listen at his feet and we weep at his feet. When we come to him in times in life that don't make sense, that we don't understand, when we don't have it figured out, and we say, like, Jesus, you've got to show up because I can't figure it out. I need you. And the crazy thing is, is I think Jesus meets us. I think he meets us. I think he is there. I think he is present. And so she listened at his feet. She wept at his feet. And she loved at his feet. But I, but I think her love for Jesus grew out of this rhythm in her life where she listened at his feet and she wept at his feet. Christ's point, it, it is my hope and my prayer that we as, as a people that we would look at this beautiful example that Mary sets. Like by, the, by the grace of God, we would say, like early in the morning, God, I'm listening. Like you, you speak to me. Lord, I, I, I need to meet with you. That when things come our way that, that we don't quite understand and we don't know quite what to do with, that we would weep at the feet of Jesus. And we would say, Jesus, like you got to meet us. I don't have a category for this. I haven't figured this out. I can't explain it. You need to meet with me. And then I think with time, by the, by the grace of God, God, God grows in us a love and affection for Jesus, so much so that when things like this happen, right, we don't respond in such a way that goes, that's foolish. But instead we go, well, of course. Like, of course. Of course she would give everything. Of course she would lay down everything. It's Jesus. It's her Savior. She loves him. I pray that we too, um, by the grace of God, would have uh, that kind of love. Um, it doesn't just happen. Right? It doesn't just happen. Uh, so let's pray and ask God to help us. God, first and foremost, we, we just give you thanks for um, your extravagant uh, love. Your word says that we love you because you first loved us. And so it would be foolish for us this morning even to, to think about or dream about or consider ways of, of loving you well if we don't first grasp the love that you have for us uh, that was shown in Jesus. And so I pray that, that that deep love and affection that you have for your kids would, uh, would make its way into our hearts this morning. God, I, I do pray that we, would, um, that we would be a kind of people who advertise our love for you, uh, that we wouldn't be afraid, that we wouldn't be ashamed, that we wouldn't be embarrassed about the love and affection that we have for you. For, for times in life when we don't experience that, when we don't feel that, when it seems very foreign to us, Lord, I pray by the power of your Spirit that you might grow uh, that kind of love in our hearts. 
Uh, God, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us first. We pray these things in the good name of Jesus and by your spirit. Amen.